But before we open God's word, let's uh, go to the Lord in, in prayer. Father, as we uh, now approach uh, your word this morning, I pray that you'll give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, and hearts to receive what you'd have us to receive this morning. May you be glorified through the preaching of your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 20, where starting today, we are going to, to be covering some fairly large chunks of, of Scripture over the next uh, several weeks. And let's just be honest, these are chunks of, of Scripture that have created some really giant speed bumps that have derailed a lot of Bible reading plans over the years. It's like you, you start off the year great. It's like Genesis 1-1 on January 1. You're thinking, okay, this is the year. I'm going to read the Bible all the way through. I'm going to do it as something happened. This is the year. And now you've made your way through Genesis like no problem. Like creation and fall, the, the flood, the tower of, of Babel, the covenant with Abraham, Joseph's tumultuous journey. That's just like a riveting story that's filled with all kinds of application. You got Jacob's family arriving in Egypt and they grow and then they become enslaved and now you're, you're in Exodus. You've made it to Exodus. You, you fast forward 400 years to the Lord raises up Moses to the lead the Israelites out of slavery, just like he promised way back in Genesis 15. And you're like, I remember that. You're like connecting the dots. And then you get the plagues and the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea and the arrival at Mount Sinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments. And again, you're like, man, I'm tracking like this is going to be the year and then you arrive at Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, and you hit a speed bump. <laughs> and things like really begin to slow down. And the reading has just gotten a, a lot harder to follow. There's so much information, so many things to piece together. Information about laws and festivals and sacrifices. And let's just be honest, this, this may be where your reading plan has derailed in previous times. Maybe this year that's where it derailed. And if that's you, I hope these next few weeks will, will help help bring some clarity and uh, some understanding to, to these what can be difficult chapters. Because here's the context. Israel is now a nation of like a couple million people. So they need some form of governing of, of like how do they live, some rules, regulations, instructions. Of, this is how you live as a people. They need laws instructing them how to, to live with one another and how to treat one another and also how to, to love and worship God. So while they may, we may be tempted to discount these chapters like this as kind of like irre irrelevant to us, like they don't apply to us, they're not. What they are are merciful and gracious instructions from God telling his people how they're to love him and to love one another. So how we love God and how we love people. Not just in worship, not just like on Sundays, but in our everyday day today. Now, before we dive in, there are a couple things that we need to be mindful of as we study these laws. Starting with the temptation to just simply throw them out as not applying to us. We gotta avoid that. We can't do that. We, we would be ill-advised to approach these laws and say something like, 
Well, that was then. This is now. I don't have slaves. See, I don't, I don't have that. This, this doesn't apply to me. Or read a verse like you have in chapter 23, verse 19, which says, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And be like, all right then, Pray, praise the Lord. That's exactly what I needed to encourage me and comfort me through a pandemic. Yeah, okay. But again, tempting as it is, don't just automatically dismiss these laws as not being applicable to us today. Second thing we need to be mindful of is thinking that we must adopt them as a society just as they are. So, so someone reads these laws and like, well, that's what God's word says. And, and they're right. True statement. This is exactly what God's word says. But then they think that they have to adopt them or we have to adopt them just as they are as a nation. I mean, can you imagine a political campaign running on this type of agenda? Yeah, I don't want to. No, like just there's so many reasons why that is a not wise thing to do. And here's a big one. These are case laws. These are case laws established to deal with specific people within a specific culture. So there are laws pertaining to specific people, ethnic Israel, in a specific time and in a specific place in history. Meaning they don't necessarily transfer from culture to culture or time period to time period as is. They also don't deal with every possible situation. But here's what they are doing. Here's what they do both then and now. They're pointing us to Jesus. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to quickly look at seven sections of law this morning. I know that sounds so riveting, right? We're going to look at seven sections of law. I just woke up this morning so excited to look at seven sections of law. But we're going to look at seven sections of law quickly from a 30,000 foot view. So not every detail. And in doing so, we're going to both look at how they point us to Jesus and how they apply to us today. Okay? So starting with number one, we got laws about worship. This is in chapter 20, verses 22 through 26. The Lord saying to Moses in verse 22, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your offerings. So now, just in reading these first few verses, what comes to mind? Yeah, the, the Ten Commandments come to mind, right? Especially the, the first two commandments. The first being what? You shall have no other gods before me. And the second being what? You shall not make for yourself any idols, no carved images. So it's further instruction on how God's people are to worship Him. With very clear instructions on we shall have no other gods, no making of idols, and, and even instruction for making their altars plain and not flashy. Now, pause there for a moment with me. Why would making an altar plainly of the earth, as the text says, why would that be so important? Because the, why would that be? Because the Lord is preparing his people to enter into the promised land. A land, remember, that is filled with people who are already living there like the Canaanites. Pagan people who don't worship God. 
Who do they worship? Yeah, they worship false gods. They worship idols, things crafted and made by hand. And what about their altars? Because they too make sacrifices, right? Well, those altars, they're created with great craftsmanship. They're flashy, they're, they're beautiful, they're, they're something to behold. So what's the Lord doing with these instructions? He's lovingly setting up laws to keep his people from adopting the pagan practices of the world around them. He's teaching them that, that he alone is to be the object of their worship. And his word alone is to be their guide in worship. So no images, no idols, nothing to stir or to shape their hearts or minds to think about him or worship him, him in, in any way other than how he has revealed himself in his word. And church, the same applies to us today. Nothing flashy, no pictures, no images, no, no statues, no laser light shows, just God's word driving everything we believe about God and how we worship him. But now, before we leave this section, there's two things. We no longer have to make altars for sacrifices today, do we? And why is that? Well, because of Jesus. Because Jesus, our great high priest, gave himself as our sacrifice. One sacrifice that sufficiently paid the price for the sin of his people for all time. So no more sacrifices needed ever. We who are in Christ can now, by the grace of God, approach the living God through the blood of Jesus. Number two. Look with me at the last part of verse 24. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. So in what place will God's name be remembered? In every place where he causes his name to be remembered. Meaning, God's people don't have to return to Mount Sinai to worship him. God's promises to be with his people. And we see this played out through, throughout Exodus and throughout the rest of the Old Testament with the tabernacle, we're going to see the Ark of the Covenant, and eventually the, the temple. But again, the entire Bible is pointing us to who? It's pointing us to Jesus. And remember what Jesus taught the woman at the well? We talked about it a few weeks ago. That worship isn't relegated to a specific location. Christians don't have to make a pilgrimage to a certain place or to be in a specific spot or a specific place or a specific building to worship God. Meaning our pandemic isolation doesn't keep us from our ability to worship God in spirit and in truth. Why? Because Jesus is our temple. Oh, so much we could look at here that just keeps pointing us to Jesus. But now let's look at what the Lord says regarding laws about slaves, which has to be one of the most misunderstood and confusing laws in, in the Bible from our cultural context, especially those who are coming out of an American cultural context. Because most Americans, like we hear the word slave and immediately we think of the American history of slavery, right? Stealing people from a foreign land based upon the color of their skin and forcing them to, to work as slaves, buying and selling and brutality. 
That's what most of us tend to think about when we hear the word slave. But that's not what's understood in the context of this law. Just look with me at verse 16 in chapter 21, which says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. Meaning the Lord is clear here. He's like crystal clear here. Any form of slavery like we have had in America in our past is wrong. Wrong. Always has been, always will be. And remember, the Israelites had just been this type of slave for 400 years in, in Egypt. So God, he's not now turning around and saying, well, hey, it's your turn now to have slaves, Israel. No, it's wrong. It's forbidden, always has been, always will be. So what we have here in this law is referring to a form of a contract worker. It's voluntary. People hiring themselves into service, typically to pay off a debt. And in doing so, they received, again, typically room and board and honest wage. Again, that's how it's supposed to be. And then when their debt was paid off, they're free. They're, they're slaves no longer. Their, their debt is paid and they go free. But now look with me at verse 5. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God. And he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall be his slave forever. See, that just sounds weird, right? I'm going to bore his ear through with an awl. It's weird for us. Weird for our culture. Not weird for their culture. Take King David, for example. He makes a reference to a pierced or open ear in Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, saying, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. He's referring to a, a pierced ear, a, an open ear. That, that signified what? Well, it signified that, that David had made a lifelong commitment to the obedience of God. Then in verse 8 of that same psalm, David continues by saying, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. See, David is declaring that he delights to obey and to do the will of God. He delights to do the will of his master, which tells us what? Well, it tells us that worship without a lifelong commitment to obedience, that is, obedience to serve the Lord, is not true worship. We want to gather on Sunday, we want to sing, we want to say amen and hallelujah, but then live in, in disobedience the rest of the week? It's not true worship. For God the Father delights in the joyful obedience of his children, just as he did with his own son. For remember, it was Jesus who delighted in doing the will of the Father, even to the point of death, death on a cross. The obedience of Jesus stemming from the love that he had for his father. Which begs the question this morning. 
Does our obedience stem from legalistic ob obligation or from our love for our master? Only one leads to eternal life and abounding joy. Do we delight in being obedient to our master? Number three, natural segue here, leading to laws about behavior. This is chapter 21, verses 12 through 32. And these are the type of laws that we're probably most familiar with as a people, as a culture. As we've got laws here ranging from like unintentional homicide, cursing one's parents, to various types of injury laws, whether it's injury to, to people or injury to animals, you name it. It's all kind of jam-packed in here, not covering everything, but there's a lot here. So again, it's the Lord expounding upon the Ten Commandments, like, you shall not murder that's covered in great detail in verses 12 through 15. You shall not steal. That's verse 16. We already looked at it. You shall honor your father and mother, and you shall not bear false witness. That's verse 17. And we can go on here. But the underlying principle that we see kind of playing out here is that the punishment has to fit the crime. And it's the Lord setting an expectation for how his people are to live, how his people are to behave, and explaining the earthly consequence if, if they don't. Earthly consequences that are to do what? Protect his people from receiving eternal consequences. So to protect from something worse happening to them, that, that worse being judgment, that worse being hell. So these earthly consequences are to serve as a deterrent and they're for their good. For example, if there were no consequences for speeding, like none, zilch, nada, like speed limit sign is up, but you know that there is no consequences for breaking that speed limit. Is, that, is, is a heavenly consequence there going to keep you within the law? Just to be honest, no. Like because some of us have a hard enough time, as is, with penalties existing, keeping that law. Well, think about children. For all you children who are, who are listening right now, if there was no earthly punishment for, for disobeying mom and dad, like you could disobey and there was no punishment, would the heavenly consequences be enough for you to continue to honor your father and mother? We'd like to think so, right? But we all know the answer. Like the punishments are there to kind of keep us in line, to help us think about bigger consequences that may come. They're there to, to teach us. Which is why the Lord didn't just write the law in our hearts as a means of morality, but he gave it to us in writing. The law is an act of love from our Father. And every government that has established laws and penalties builds from God's law in some way. Again, this is a means of God's grace. But here's what the law does. It continually points us to where we fail. It reveals our depravity. It reveals our, our sin. Oh, but praise God, it also points us to our need for a Savior. But now let's think about number four. Laws about restitution. Here we have these in chapter 21, verse 33, all the way through chapter 22, verse 15. You got laws of restitution here serving as basic property laws. Like verse 33, when a man opens a pit 
For when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restitution. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. So someone's donkey falls into an uncovered pit that you dug on your property. You've got to make restitution for that donkey. Think about it. Think of this maybe like this doesn't apply today. Like, man, I don't have a donkey. I'm not digging pits in my backyard. Why do you have liability insurance for your home? To protect you if something happens on your property, right? Because if someone gets hurt on your property as a result of something that you could have reasonably prevented from happening, you're liable to pay restitution. Now, chapter 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Notice it doesn't say anything about jail time here. It says he will be forced to pay with interest. Meaning he has to work until the debt is paid off, even if that means the rest of his life. Now, in my flesh, my personal, I, I like this one here. And if I were a governing authority, I'm going with this one. Like, work until your debt is paid off. But now, let's think about that in relation to our sin. How long would you have to work to pay restitution to God for the sins that we have committed? Like, forever, right? Like, we could not make restitution. And God knows this. God knowing we could work the rest of our life and never be able to make restitution for our sin. So what did he do? He paid our debt for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But now what's our everyday application here if that's not already enough? Well, one... Being recipients of such lavish mercy and grace changes both how we love God and how we love people. So when we sin against God, what do we do? We repent. And we continue to rest in the hope that we have in Christ. And two, when we sin against our neighbor, we seek to apologize. We seek for forgiveness. We, we make applicable restitution where it's needed. We, we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Plain and simple, coming to faith in Christ, it changes how we live. God's people live distinct from the world around us. So if that's not the case, not living distinct from the world around, something's not adding up with confession and life. Which brings us to number five, laws about purity. And really the focus here is on holiness here in chapter 22, verses 16 through 20. And the first thing we see is a focus on, on sexual holiness and purity. Chapter 22, verse 16, if a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, so has sex outside of marriage, he shall do one of two things. He says, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. So option one is if he has sex outside of marriage, he marries her. Or verse 17, if her father utterly refuses to give her up, like father says, there is no way over my dead body, will you marry my daughter? Then he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. He has to make proper restitution. 
So at no point is sex outside of marriage permitted. And this call for sexual purity and holiness, it still applies today. God expects his people to remain pure and holy until marriage. And pure and holy in marriage. Just because the culture surrounding us thinks something is okay, doesn't make it possible or permissible in God's eyes. See, in every law covered in this section, the Lord is setting his people apart from the people living in the land that they're about to enter. A people he's about to judge for their impurity, for practicing things like sexual immorality and sorcery, which is why he gives the law in verse 18. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. He's about to judge the people in the land for things like bestiality. So verse 19, whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. He's about to judge the people in the land for sacrificing and worshiping false gods. So verse 20, whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. Again, the reminder, you shall have no other gods before me. The Lord giving gracious and clear warning to his people. The Lord giving these warnings and saying, if you don't, here's the consequence. Church, that's the gospel. As the punishment fits the crime. And either we bear the punishment for our sin, or Christ does, or better yet, Christ did. And praise God for Christ, right? Amen. Redeeming us from our impurity, from our wickedness, and making us pure. Meaning no matter how filthy you were prior to Christ, you are spotlessly pure now if you are trusting in him as your only hope in life and in death. Washed whiter than snow by the blood of Jesus. Which again changes how we live today. And if you haven't yet been changed, you can be. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's what God promises. Now, how does it change how we live today? Well, let's just look at the next set of laws. Laws about social justice. This is in chapter 22, verses 21 through chapter 23, verse 9. The Lord telling us in verse 21, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Meaning as Christians, we can't treat immigration as just a simple political issue. We have to think biblically as to how we are to care for immigrants, how we are to think about immigration. Immigrants, legal or illegal, are still image bearers of God. They're created in the image of God. Now, at the same time, we also have to think biblically as to how do we do this while at the same time honoring the laws of our land. Christians have to be a thinking people, but most importantly, a biblical people. Or consider verse 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Meaning God cares about the orphans and the widows and so must we. There's no life that is less important than another. Verse 25, if, if you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. Meaning care for the poor. Don't take advantage of the poor. Verse 28. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. 
So God is sovereign over all. Let's not be mistaken here. God is sovereign over all. Every king will bow down to God. But he's also given us government leaders that we are to be subject to as well. Some leaders we're going to like and we're going to agree with more than others. But even when we disagree, we must not curse or speak ill of them. For they are given by God for our good. Let us spend more time praying for them. In fact, a lot of time praying for them because they need it. And let us stop speaking and posting viatrol about them. Maybe hard to see at times, but even the worst of government leaders are better than what we deserve. Then verses 29 through 30, you shall give your first fruits to God. God providing laws and tithing and offerings. Again, love God and love people. Now the last set of laws that we see is number seven here, laws about the Sabbath and festivals. This is verse, chapter 23, verses 10 through 19. Verse 12, providing a reinforcement of the fourth commandment, you shall honor the Sabbath. And then in verse 13, pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard from your lips. What's God saying here? He said, pay close attention to everything I've told you and obey he has no desire to be worshipped partially or just as another part of one's life that's convenient in their already busy schedule. Like, hey, I'm going to work it in here. Like, I can't, I can't think I can make this Sunday. I don't, I don't know if I can have time this morning. I'm like, eh, I'm already busy. No, it's making him the priority. He wants our complete obedience and worship in every aspect of our life. And so he gives his people three festivals as a means of reminding them throughout the year of everything that he has said and done. The first is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Any ideas of what this was instituted for? Yeah, to remind them of their freedom from slavery in, in Egypt. Second is the Feast of the Harvest. This was to celebrate God's continued provision for them. And then third was the Feast of the Ingathering at the end of each year, also known as the, the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles, which was time to celebrate God's salvation. And then God is very specific in the types of sacrifices and offerings that are to be offered. The right sacrifice offered by the right person in the right way. Then it was the priest, but who is it for us? It is our great high priest. It is Jesus. Again, everything pointing us to Jesus, which is our last point. See, number eight, laws always point us to our need for Jesus. First, as our need for Jesus as our Savior. For while we haven't and can't keep God's law, Jesus did. He did what we could never do. He, he kept the law fully and then died as our substitute to pay our penalty, to make restitution for our sin. But our need for Jesus extends further because it's in receiving Jesus that we also receive the Spirit. And it's through the Spirit that we now have the ability to live according to God's Word. We can now worship Him in spirit and in truth. We can now love God and we can love people and it's all possible because of Jesus and impossible without Him. See, if we're in Christ, we both want to worship and we can worship. If we're in Christ, we have been bought with a price that we cannot afford and are now committed servants 
of our master forever. If we're in Christ, we desire for our behavior, our words, and our actions to be Christ-honoring in all that we do. If we're in Christ, we now have a deep desire to repent of our sin and make the wrongs that we have committed towards others right. If we are in Christ, we care deeply about purity and holiness, which dramatically changes how we live. If we are in Christ, we care deeply about social justice and loving our neighbor as ourself. If we are in Christ, we live in continual remembrance of all that he has done and how desperate we are for him. Plain and simple, if we're in Christ, we are now a new creation. A people who live by his word. And when we fail, and we will, we find our comfort in the mercy and the grace that is found at the foot of the cross. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for, for loving us enough to provide the law. And we thank you that you love us enough to send your son to redeem us from the curse of the law. Give us strength today to continue to walk in obedience. Maintain a, a heart of repentance and faith for when we fail. And continue to point uh, us to a, a lost and dying world. Help us to be a light in this world. Showing the hope and the joy that we have in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.